And it's not to say even that, I mean, it's just, it's a difficult label to put on because if you say positive member of society, I'm like, well, I don't want to think of them as like a negative or a drain because it's really no fault of their own, even that, you know, they have these circumstances, but whatever it might be, it's this outcome is that, um, economic suffering of 1 million per youth that we fail, right? Like we as a society are absorbing what we are not helping to solve before they age out of the system. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth, and this week I am joined by my husband, Matthew McCary. Welcome to the show, longtime producer. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. You know, I I am in, intimately involved in this show every single week, actually. I, uh, I'm just usually a silent partner. Yeah. Um Listeners, if you've listened to the show for a while, you've heard Matt on before. His ADHD in relationship show was one of a lot of your favorites. And I'm thrilled that he is going to join me this week to talk about foster care awareness. This month, May, is Foster Care Awareness Month. And last year we did a uh, podcast where we dove into... A lot of elements of this, but I wanted to highlight some specifics that we've experienced, um, not in personal ways um, that we can share about our own kiddo, but more what we've seen and what we've learned as we've been a part of this process for even longer. And for Matt to also share some of his lived experience as a spouse and not just me sharing as an educator. Um, I also want to do this show because it's Mother's Day this weekend, and mothers look like a lot of different people, right? Like we, it's not only a person who births a child that fulfills that role of caretaker, and I hope that no matter who you are, if you are providing um, maternal support in whatever way that looks like, um, that you're taking time to take care of yourself and celebrate that relationship this weekend. But also because it's a huge, uh, trigger for our kiddo and really anyone who has either a strained relationship with their mother or, um, has lost a mother or, one of the multitude of um, scenarios that make that difficult. So uh, next week we'll be talking about um, fertility as well with a good friend of mine who um, has gone through those experiences. So this week has been tough. Uh, we actually had a, a different show topic planned and scheduled. Um, Twice. And kiddos' needs were were high, and I was not able to get to a scheduled recording, um, <laughs> during those time periods. So fortunately, Matt, you're not working today. I was like, come on the show with me and let's, let's address this. Yeah. 
I was happy to do it as this is equally as important to me. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I want to remind you is that we're not medical professionals and this podcast is for general education purposes. We always suggest seeking appropriate treatment accordingly. And so we're going to talk about some mental health stuff. And of course, we cannot uh, give advice in those areas. I will say for people who are curious what um, our background might be, I am certified in collaborative problem solving. And both of us are, as I like to say, licensed to parent. We are <laughs> literally um, approved and trained by both the state and our agency, which has additional requirements um, to provide support in um, a parental role. And that has included a lot of learning and education, which we're going to kind of dive into. Are you ready, Matt? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. So I think one of the things that um, you and I were surprised by, but also was important when we were first talking about potentially fostering um, was looking at some of the options. And I know I get this question all the time, but I'm curious how you would answer this question. Cause when people ask me, how did you get into fostering? And I say, well, my mom was adopted and I wanted to do it my whole life. Um, you don't have that same answer, right? So why, why is this important for you? I think kind of the more that I, experience, see, learn about, um, for lack of a better word, uh, how many people are in extremely adverse circumstances, uh, whether it be poverty, neglect, abuse, any of these things, like just how large this problem is and how little it's available, uh, how few families are willing to foster, how little resources are put towards finding and uh, helping all these people who need it. I, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's really unfortunate. And doing this little part is the least I can do. Uh, our children are the most vulnerable. And I love children. I don't want to see them harmed. And I want to help as many as I can. And this was a very important mission to be involved in because of how how overwhelmed the system is and how few people are willing to volunteer this way. So it seemed like a no-brainer to me that we had the ability to do it. Why shouldn't we? I, I love you. That's going to be a cheesy show. I'm like, oh, everybody <laughs> listening is like, oh, of course. But I, I do think that, you know, it is difficult because we're talking about we made the choice to foster an older child intentionally because we mm -hmm. knew that that was less likely to be adopted from mainstream areas, right? So let's kind of set aside, or maybe our listeners aren't aware that there's two ways to go about um, foster and adopt. There's... Um, 
what they call like traditional adoption or foster. And those would be children who do not present with high needs. Um, it doesn't mean that they don't actually have them and that they don't need that same amount of therapeutic they're not support. Immediately, they're not immediately recognized. They're, yeah. And, and that's a whole nother can of worms, but let's just say they don't present as needing that. And those would be what would be categorized as adoptable or highly adoptable children. And they are placed most often with families who go direct through the state or DSS. Um, Foster is managed not on a federal or even um, like a county level, but within the state. So we actually live... So when you say DSS, you mean Department of Social Services. Thank you. Yes. And and every state will have, and every county will have, and every city will have... (laughs) A version of a Department of Social Services. Yeah. And we actually live in a different county than our foster child was living in at the time. And so these counties and cities can talk to each other, but it's managed at a state level. What we cannot do is take our foster child and move out of state. So um, it's from that perspective, the state DSS department um, would find a family for this quote-unquote adoptable, highly adoptable um, child or siblings um, and pair them for adoption. Or the state says, um, we have not determined the outcome of this case. And ideally, going to bridge the gap, is what it's called, to have this child placed in foster care, and then hopefully we can get the child back into their biological family or whomever they were staying with home. Um, And those would be cases where there's not, you know, an extensive amount of um, trauma or a long history of crimes or neglect or, you know, different kinds of things. That's case one. Case two is the path that Matt and I chose to take, which are children who have and do present for higher needs. And this might be disabilities. Um, There's a lot of children who fall into this case whose um, parents either could not provide or um, whatever the case may be are either, you know, autistic or, um, physically have additional support needs and also children who have what are called adverse childhood experiences who have PTSD and uh, different emotional needs. And so those are our cases that are usually referred to agencies who specialize in what's called treatment foster care. And that's what Matt and I are. We're treatment foster care family. Um, We're actually called resource parents is the term. And we made the difficult decision that if we were going to do this, that we really wanted to help someone who needed help. And we wanted to do that with as many children as we could, as you heard Matt say. It wasn't our intention to adopt going into this. However, we were both open to that. It was like, well, if that works out, then we're not close to that idea. But we really did want to bridge the gap. And I will say in the case of our first foster child, the state didn't think that that was possible. And 
we were able to help make that happen, which um, our yeah. agency was like, I've never seen this happen before. And that child is content and happy to be home, which is a yes. fantastic um, end to what was a rocky story for a while. And then we did what's called respite, where we we took some time to kind of like regroup as a family before taking in another um kiddo long-term and we provided short-term support for a pair of sibling brothers who were just the sweetest we've had them twice yes. mm -hmm. and um I could not speak more highly of them like they're just they were just so sweet but they did have some um developmental disabilities yes thank you so their needs were higher but in a different sort of way than um for example, our first and our current kiddo who have experienced adverse childhood experiences. So let me just say that I mentioned PTSD. This statistic always blows my mind. And I really want to put it out there before we talk about like what kind of trauma and, and how it affects these kids. But children and adolescents with foster care experience, it doesn't define what that experience even is or how detailed it is. Like just being in foster care at all, even if you go to the most wonderful loving home, those kiddos are diagnosed with PTSD at twice the rate of U.S. war veterans. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter like how you came, came into care just being a foster care child in and of itself means that you're going to be diagnosed with PTSD at twice the rate of U.S. war veterans, which um, I'm going to guess that that's like almost everybody, <laughs> right? Like, because even if you're not presenting, as I said, in the first scenario as needing those um, supports, a lot of children and myself included, what I was the kind of person, child, who you know, it's why I was a perfectionist. It's why I was a control freak. It's why, you know, I tried to control everything that was around me because I thought, oh, then I can ensure my circumstances, which nobody can, you can't. But yes, in, in the mind of a child, like that's where I was. And so had I addressed some of that stuff in therapy earlier, I do think that it would have changed some of the more like angry, difficult parts of my life at feeling frustrated with, you know, not being able to control life and how I handled that. And so I give that as an example of, uh, I wouldn't have been diagnosed as having any sort of PTSD or, um, trauma support needs, but I definitely was, I was one years old when my parents divorced and, you know, I had had some difficult times when I was a younger child and I was just the kind of kid who overcame, who, you know, I, my mom could count on me to just, you know, be mature and to, you were forced to be mature at a, at an early age. And yes. that's what led to these perfectionist and frustration experiences that you have as an adult, because you were forced to be in control a lot more than other children were at your age. Yeah. And I, I have some pretty specific experiences being a young child that I don't talk about and I don't know that I ever will publicly, but know that, you know, they, they, they were in need of, of support. And my mom and I have since gone to therapy and worked through some of those things. And 
it's magic, right? There's like sparkles and all this kinds of stuff. And this is not a, a dig on my mom. I think all parents do what they think is best, including parents whose children end up in foster care. So, um, moving back to that, what I wanted to say is that like me, a lot of children have adverse childhood experiences and how they display that need for support is very different. And, um, like how our kiddo now um, expresses their emotional support needs is night and day from how our first kiddo expressed their emotional needs and is very different from our biological children, right? Like they all have different expression. Um, But in the case of both of our foster kiddos, both had what are called adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. So if someone has four or more of these, they are three times as likely to um, get lung disease from smoking. They are 14 times more likely to attempt suicide. They are four and a half times more likely to develop depression. They are 11 times more likely to abuse drugs. They are four times more likely to have begun sexual intercourse by age 15 and twice as likely to develop liver disease, which we can extrapolate from alcohol abuse. Um, The American Academy of Pediatrics former president Robert Block said that adverse childhood experiences are the single greatest unaddressed public health threat facing our nation today. And if we consider that one-eighth of the population has more than four ACEs, which include abuse, whether that's emotional, physical, or sexual, neglect, emotional, and physical, and household challenges like domestic violence, even if they themselves aren't experiencing violence seeing someone abused is incredibly difficult. Um, Substance abuse of parents or people living in the home, mental illness, um, parental separation and divorce and incarceration of a loved one. So these are just some of the things that, you know, we can look at as being these adverse childhood experiences that lead to significantly um, more, long-term negative health outcomes, and one-eighth of the population experiences it. Matt, how is it to, to, like, hear me talk about these things and to know that we are talking about a child that we love that, that has these likelihoods, but also how many children out there that, you know, we can't help and save them all, right? Like, that yeah. there are so many children out there who... We just, I mean, I know I joke all the time that I don't hug and I have a black heart, but when it comes to like um, equality and justice and children in need, like I could not be more of a a freaking pudding. Like I just want to like melt into all of these kids. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm very empathetic to these situations and I want to bring everyone in but then you know i i I want want everyone to have a safe home i want everybody to have the right support and when i when you talk about this one of the things that like 
occurs to me is how many of these adverse childhood experiences are situational that aren't even like choices that parents are making, right? So much of, uh, you know, abuse uh, and, you know, even substance abuse, domestic violence, how much of that is something that a parent doesn't choose but is forced into by economic situations, by uh, being with a partner who doesn't support them or is uh, is abusive, uh, you know, being abandoned by by parents, you know, like, you know, I I I feel for those parents that are forced into those situations through circumstances beyond their control or that were unknown to them at the time they made those choices that adversely affect their kids, how heartbreaking that must be for them, you yeah. know? Yeah, absolutely. I think the one of the ones that really gets me that I've become much more aware of in the last year is mental illness. I think, you know, Wesley has been passionate about wanting to support the unhoused for a really long time. Like, I don't, I don't know why this is his passion. I love that it's his passion, but, um, you know, for years we've made meals for the shelter or done different kinds of things because it was a passion of his. And, you know, in the last year to learn what the incredibly high percentage of those without a home have mental illness that is unmanaged, um, whether it's undiagnosed or they don't have access to health care that would provide them the support that they need, um, whether that's, you know, needing to go to a facility, um, again, for substance abuse, same thing. But in the case of mental illness, like if we know that someone has a condition and that medicine and therapeutic services can help, and yet these people don't have access to that, and that is why they have a difficult time, you know, keeping a job, which means that, you know, they don't have income to keep a house and how difficult that would be as a parent to, um, face those challenges, as you said, but then also for that child and that child's child, how the generational trauma Mm -hmm. of those circumstances is compiled with the genetic component of that mental illness never being addressed. And, it, it, it's just become really overwhelming to me. The more that we've learned, the more that I realize how much like mental wellness is a huge component to public health and to overall general health and wellness. And I know we've talked about that, you know, more and more on the show the last couple of years. And that is the reason why, because <laughs> I have been learning more and just am appalled at the lack of support and resources that are available. And we see directly the outcome and the, the cost of that. I mean, I, I have a statistic in here that says from a, um, per, from a economic perspective, the entire economy suffers a cost of $1 million per youth that we fail because of lost production and the cost of social services. So it's not just a tragic loss of their own potential and the trauma that they experience, but it, it affects society as a whole. And when we don't address it and we just keep compiling these issues, I mean, every year it's like the highest amount that it's ever been, you know, of kids in foster care. It just, it's like this snowball of badness that is yeah. heartbreaking. 
Yeah. And, you know, we've had to work within the Medicaid system, you know, by virtue, by virtue. Of I don't know that we could call care. it making it work. I mean, <laughs> yeah. as, so, as, so, as someone yeah. who has the time to like literally waste eight hours navigating this stuff and yelling at people and advocating. I mean, I don't yeah. know how many people you've heard say to me, you are an amazing advocate for kiddo and they're lucky to have you. And part of that is just because I'm, I won't take no for an answer. Like yeah. I, you know, I will fight. Yeah. So I, I think about like all these parents who have mental illnesses and because of that have are, are low income, right? And you say, well, they they can get Medicaid, right? But just navigating the Medicaid system is so difficult in and of itself. I can't imagine being out there on my own trying to navigate this while dealing with the trauma, the mental illness, and all of this, and trying to make make it through to a stability that so many of them can't make it to. Like they, they, there are so many people who are who are just failed because we just don't have a system that will get them to stability. Yeah, I I'll give an example, and I you know I I don't want to, nor can I talk about the specifics of kiddo. But what I can say is that, you know, because of even just the trauma of going to foster care, all of the kids that we've had in our care have been going to therapy. And part of that is because they're in treatment foster care. As I said, they're in this like secondary group where our agency makes sure that they get the social support services that they need. So not every child in foster care is going to therapy, though, I believe they absolutely need it. But fortunately for our kiddos, they have all been in therapy. However, the therapeutic services that are offered through the state are through, as Matt indicated, um, the state insurance programs. And at least in our state, all of them have gone through something called a community service board. And the community service board is where their medication and their therapy is managed. And the CSB was a literal nightmare for me. I remember crying and yelling and screaming. And like, how often did I vent to you, Matt, about how frustrated I was with the lack of understanding, the lack of information when we were transferring from one city to another, it's a different CSB. And despite the fact that it's incredibly traumatic for a child to have to like retell someone all their trauma Um, they were like, well, we need to do a completely new intake. Even though you have the intake from the other city, you just can't like look at those files and talk to that person. You're going to put the child through all of that again. Um, And we had a particular provider who did not respect kiddo's identity, who every time they met used incorrect pronouns, incorrect name. Mm -hmm. And that is part of their trauma. (laughs) Like this therapist was not helping because they didn't respect the kid's identity. And the only reason that I think that we're on a path of making progress at this point is because I was able to advocate after three failed therapy resources within the CSB, I was able to advocate to, you know, my treatment team that the CSB isn't working and that we need to go someplace else. And the state needed to get funding. They have uh, different kinds of puddle, pu- um, puddles, 
<laughs> funds, po- pockets, po- pots, and funnels of funds <laughs> to um, pay for things that aren't necessarily covered through the government healthcare system. And so they are now at a place where they are getting the therapeutic services that they need for the trauma that they have. And it is no longer within the government medical uh, coverage. And, you know, I think about these parents who um, would not be able to do that, right? They, they wouldn't be able to, in, in our case, it's paid, quote unquote, out of pocket by the state, but the state actually has grants and different kinds of funding that they use for this. But there's absolutely no way that, you know, if someone has their own mental health issues, is in poverty, that they're going to be able to get the proper therapeutic support services for their family the way that I was able to advocate and do as someone with time, with an education, you know, with the resources to do that. And not only do I have that on my own, but I have a flexibility and flexibility. I have a treatment team of people that I was able to go to and say, this isn't working. This is what we need. They did the research. They found the place. They got the funding approved, right? Like it's, it is tragic to me, the lack of support and help that, Families do not receive until their children are in care. And then it's like, oh, and now now we the wait. world is your oyster, you know? You know, the, the, the saying that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Uh, we don't start trying to help people in many cases until we're at a crisis point. And there's just not enough prevention going on to help people. Yeah, I think that's a a good segue also into another of the statistics that make my blood boil, which is because we do not have enough places for kiddos in foster care to go, our state and others often place kids in juvenile detention centers because that is the only place they have to go. Having committed no crime at all, um, this, of course, puts these children on a path they would otherwise been able to avoid in a safe, stable environment. They're now literally being influenced. Their peer group is completely different. And this is supposed to be better, right? I'm using quotation marks. And it just, it breaks my heart, the stories about kids who go into care who, you know, don't have this negative background, who, I mean, of course, they have whatever trauma put them into care, but they're not abusing drugs. They're not committing crimes. They're not doing any of these sort of things. And because the system fails them, they become those things which we worry about, those statistics. And it's it's heartbreaking. Agreed. I can't imagine, through no fault of my own, being sent to jail because there's just no other place for me. You know what I mean? Like and, that, and how that would impact your life. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and, and the education system for juvenile detention is not, you know, the same um, as, as for kids who are out of, out of it. So they're not getting the same level of education. Uh, they're not being 
prepared with the life skills of living in society, right? By virtue of being set aside, they're not learning any life skills of how to how to get along in this in, in the outside environment. There's just no way that you can transition that way to being a productive adult if you just have the worst experience growing up. Yeah. So we do have some suggestions. Don't despair. <laughs> I promise we'll get to what you can do. Um, and there's a variety of things. It doesn't look exactly like what we do. But I do, before we get there, want to give some other statistics. And some of these are really tough to hear. Um, but I hope that it's a motivator to do some of the things that we're going to um, give examples for on, on how you can help. So the first set of statistics that I'm going to provide are for children who age out of the system. So what that means is like a lot of the kids whom my agency tries to help the children who came from like a higher needs, um, they express a higher amount of need of support, right? So they either come from a home where they had trauma or the way that they process the trauma creates higher need for them. And so therefore the state says, oh, they can't just like go to anybody. They need treatment, foster care, or they need like a person who is willing to adopt them with these higher needs. So within four years of aging out, meaning they don't get adopted, whether they go to a group home or a juvenile detention center, or they bounce around in foster care to 15 different homes until they're finally old enough to be out on their own. Um, there are a really sad number of children who age out of the system. And of those, 70% will be on government assistance. Half will not complete high school and only 3% in foster care in general, will graduate from college. So not even just aging out. 50% will have no earnings. And those who do make an average annual income of $7,500 per year. And 25% will face incarceration within two years. So when we look at the statistics of what happens to a child who hasn't received the support services and the structure and support that they need as a child. And we then say, okay, go forth, make it on your own. Of course, they haven't developed the skills that they need or understand how to navigate the world to be a productive member of society the way that we might all want Right. Like and I, I think we need to have reasonable expectations that there's different levels of I'm using quotation marks productive member of society. But I actually prefer instead of productive, I, I prefer just positive. Yeah. A positive member of society. Yeah. And it's not to say even that. I mean, it's just it's a difficult label to put on, because if you say positive member of society, I'm like, well, I don't want to think of them as like a negative or a drain because it's really no fault of their own, even that, you know, they have these circumstances, but whatever it might be, it's this outcome is that, um, economic suffering of 1 million per youth that we fail, right? Like we as a society are absorbing what we are not helping to solve before they age out of the system. And what's even more heartbreaking to me, um, 
I mean, that in and of itself is tragic. And I, I have such a hard time myself processing those statistics, but then I get to the trafficking part of it and hearing that 60% of the domestic child trafficking victims have a history in the child welfare system and traffickers specifically target youth in foster care because of their increased vulnerability. And that 74% of these child trafficking cases um, were managed by, I'm, I'm trying to be politically correct, especially for those listening with a family. Um, Refer prostitution. Okay. There you, yes. I hate, I hate, yes, I hate, I hate it. I just, I, I don't even want to say it because it's, it's heartbreaking to me that we're looking at children who are suffering and villains literally seeking them out to take advantage and manipulate them. Like, it's just, to me, it's, it's heartbreaking. And then we're going to talk about missing children. 91% of kids reported missing were children running away from their own home or foster care. So I think a lot of times we think about missing kids as being kidnapped by this mysterious stranger in a van, right? But 91% of kids who go missing were running away on their own from either their own home or foster care. And the second highest rates of missing children were abducted by a family member who did not have custody. So overall, less than 1% were non-family or stranger abductions. And you know, when we hear these statistics, I think it changes a lot of what we perceive and what we hear on the news, right? Or even the the stories that we watch on uh, TV or movies, like a lot of this could be managed and mediated through better social service programs. And, you know, having firsthand experience with that, um, you know, we've given some examples of, of why that is we think part of, of the problem, though, you know, we can't solve this alone. Um, and you can't solve it alone either. We do have some ideas for what we can all do to try to make it better. This podcast is sponsored by Just Thrive. I take this probiotic every day and so do my kids. Doctor approved. I recommend it to all my skincare clients too because your gut health impacts literally everything. Your well-being, your mood, your digestion, and your skin. Because your gut houses up to 80% of your immune system, a healthy gut is truly the gateway to feeling your best. Unfortunately, our bodies are being attacked every single day by outside forces and wreaking havoc on our gut health. Stress, toxins, even just one day of exposure to things that don't agree with us. Thankfully, with Just Thrive Probiotic, it's easier to give your gut what it needs to thrive, scientifically backed. Just Thrive's Breakthrough Award-Winning Probiotic is the only product on the market that's proven to turn your gut into an antioxidant factory. In one trial, supplementing with Just Thrive Probiotic reduced leaky gut and inflammation, meaning you get maximum immune, digestive, and total body health support. Plus, it's vegan-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, histamine-free, and non-GMO. 
So if you're looking for the best in gut health and immune support, choose the clinically proven award-winning power of Just Thrive Probiotic. Honestly and sincerely, this is the only product that I feel making a difference when I take it. To try it, get 15% off when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use code THEWHOLEVIEW. That includes bundles and subscriptions, so definitely double up on your savings at justthrivehealth.com slash discount slash THEWHOLEVIEW with code THEWHOLEVIEW. Hey, you, are you still using personal care products with fragrance or brands that don't test for safety? It's time to switch to Safer, and I'd love to help. And this month, your purchase supports youth in need. Choose the charity of your choice at checkout with Stacy Toth. I just got home from advocating health protective laws for all with Beauty Counter, my favorite non-toxic beauty brand. And if you want to support those efforts and my small woman-owned business, you can get 20% off with code CLEANFORALL20 at beautycounter.com slash Toth. With their 60-day no-questions-asked return policy, what have you got to lose? I love that their mission is to get safer products into the hands of everyone through legislative change. And I also love that I can trust that my family's health is protected because Beauty Counter tests every single batch against 23 different human health endpoints to ensure performance and safety. No contaminants, carcinogens, or unsafe heavy metals, no benzene and sunscreen, no PFAS and makeup, only nourishing skin superfoods to help you love the skin that you're in. Email me, Stacy at realeverything.com for help. And choose me, Stacy Toth, no E, at checkout to use code CLEANFORALL20 when using an email that's never purchased before for 20% off your order. That's beautycounter.com slash Stacy Toth. So if all of these statistics really concern you, then obviously the way to help is to get involved, is to fill in those gaps that we're, that our children are falling through. And I think there are many ways that you can get involved that I think a lot of people don't even think about. Like, mm-hmm. you, but most people think like, oh, I don't have the space, I don't have the time to be a foster parent. So, oh, well, I guess I can't get involved, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, obviously, that's a big help, becoming a foster parent, but that's not the only way that you can help children. Like we've helped many children in lots of different ways besides our foster care. Mm -hmm. We've donated to many organizations that support foster kids and kids who have aged out of the foster care system. Uh, We've contacted local agencies and asked if there are children who have aged out who we could sponsor and uh, and help out uh, and provide items and clothing for. Uh, We've talked to group homes and asked if if they need things that we can provide for them. Uh, Those are the the homes that foster children who don't have a placement will go to. Uh, We served as a respite family and, you know, for lack of a better term, we babysat for an extended period of time other foster kids. You can do that. You can volunteer to to, to babysit for the foster family in, in your area. And what that might look like is, you know, doing the background check and going through the home study. It's some of your time, but I think it might cost $15 for an application to, to get your background check. But it's once you are approved, it is 
huge to be able to provide, whether it's, you know, like Matt and I had a date night a few weeks ago, and that was amazing. Um, But also respite, right, that we've provided for children for a longer period of time. It, It doesn't have to be, you know, two weeks, it can be a weekend, it can be a night. Um, You can also, once you're approved, you know, offer to take kids to appointments. Like that's huge for me to not have to be the person constantly driving to the many appointments that we have. Definitely. I love that you brought up the um, supporting kids who have aged out of the system too, because I do think that it's really important if you can to not just provide from like a donation perspective, but even to just be available so that someone feels like they have, whether it's a mentor or an adult who cares about them and is still in their life that, you know, they can call you if they get drunk somewhere and they don't want to drive drunk. Like, you know, they're, and, and how little that is of an effort for you, but the difference that it might make in someone's life to, to connect with a former foster youth who has aged out. And I know when I reached out to ask to be connected with a kiddo like this, like people were ecstatic, (laughs) ecstatic. And, um, we also took them shopping to get clothes so that they could go to job interviews because they didn't have, clothing that was appropriate for interviews and work. And so that was super simple. Like, even if you don't have a huge budget, you can, you don't have to go through home study. You don't have to go through background check. You can just say, I'd love to, you know, connect with the former foster youth to help them out. And because they're an adult, they can manage that relationship with you and you guys can figure out what works. Um, But, you know, for us, that was, that was great. I, I'm now I'm thinking, Oh, I need to reach out to that person because I haven't talked to them in a while. But, um, I think of it this way, like think of all the things that your parents did for, did for you in your early twenties when you're trying to figure out how to be an adult, a kid who ages out of the foster care system doesn't have that, you know, and if we all need it, (laughs) you know, it's hard to become an adult. It's hard to figure out how to live life. Uh, how many times did you need to borrow money to pay your rent or Gas. that you needed transportation somewhere? You needed someone to give you advice, uh, someone to teach you about adult stuff that you never had to, like how to take care of your car, how to take care of your home, how to cook, any of these things. You know, these are kids who don't have someone to do these things for. And if you can fill in that gap, that would be 100% appreciated. I think another great idea is to support families before they enter care. So um, there's something called wraparound services that your local um, CPS or DSS office can um Depending on your relationship with them and um, how they manage things, they can, at the very least, tell you what a family might need. So, for example, if there were a vulnerable family receiving wraparound services, what that means is before a child enters care, 
DSS has determined that this family could benefit from additional support services to hopefully alleviate the need for a child to go into care. And I didn't know that this was a thing. We didn't even learn about it, I don't recall, in training. But once we became a foster family, we learned that um, some of the children that we've had were in wraparound services before they entered care. And if we could find some of those vulnerable families and support them, um, for example, buying groceries or cooking a meal. Um, I know a lot of the kiddos in foster care don't have the luxury of a home-cooked meal and sitting down to that meal together. Um, You know, our kiddo, I think I've mentioned before, ate a lot of ramen and cereal. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if you're able to buy groceries um, or deliver a meal for a vulnerable family or to, you know, give gift cards if you have that ability. Sometimes if we donate money to, you know, like a larger organization, like this month I'm doing fundraisers for UMFS, our organization, Children's Rights, which is a fantastic um, organization that uses donations from a legal perspective to then advocate for better rights for children in states that don't have the best um, social service programs, and then also to ACLU. And so last year I was able to raise $2,500 for children's rights doing this fundraiser in May, um, simply shopping through me and choosing your charity um, at beautycounter.com slash Stacey Toth will allow you to choose your charity. But last year I was able to donate $2,500 to children's rights. And that didn't feel nearly as impactful as spending a couple of hundred dollars with the um, aged out foster youth whom we connected with and took shopping, right? Like even though I yeah. spent less money, it knowing that there is a face and a person with a specific need and being able to talk to them and say like, what do you need and how can I help um, was, was really impactful. So as much as, you know, we can say you can donate, I think if you're able to find a family who is either vulnerable in, in wraparound services or someone who's aged out of the system and give that direct support, it can really have meaningful impact in a way that, you know, you can be intimately involved in someone's life and not just like, oh, I, I don't know what happened with that money that I donated. Right. Um, But speaking of buying clothing, um, buying clothing for child who enters foster care and kiddo actually um, told us that stuffed animals are huge. So stuffed animals are not something that they'll pass from child to child, you know, germs. (laughs) Right. But it's incredibly comforting for a lot of kids in care. And so when our kiddo was at group home, what they really, really, really wanted more than anything else was they had a stuffed animal collection at their home that they did not get to bring. And they really wanted the comfort of stuffed animals. So one of the things that we were able to donate over the holidays to a group home was a lot of stuffed animals. And that way they're new. And when a new child comes in, the group home can give them that kind of when they give them a toothbrush and other things. Now they have something that's a little more comforting. Yes. Um, what about a casa, Matt? Do you want to explain what a casa is? Yeah. So there are 
many different people that you're going to interact with in the foster care system, but one of them is the CASA, who is a volunteer position and someone who isn't necessarily, you know, a lawyer or a social worker or somebody like that. It's a volunteer person who gets involved, interacts with a child, and helps advocate and figure out what that child's needs and wants are. It's assigned, you're, you're assigned, if you're a CASA, you're assigned this position, you're assigned children through the court system who are in care, and you get to be involved in their lives as much or as little as they need. And I think that's a really cool thing that you can do that won't require hours and hours of time or hundreds and hundreds of dollars of money it or space just, in your home right or space in your home even it just requires you to establish a relationship with a child and anyone with love in their heart can do that i personally plan to become a casa once kiddo is adopted and settled because it's not within our emotional capability to do much more <laughs> we have four kids um yeah. and multiples of them have high needs in terms of you know all the stuff that we've talked about but also add adhd yeah. and um for me i love the idea of being a casa and continuing to stay part of the system and advocate because i'm really good at advocating um and i want to continue to do that and also i think that will probably continue to be respite because now that we've gone through the background check and the home study and all that kind of stuff it is easier for us to yeah. you know take take in short term but i don't think that we'll continue to have placements in the future but these are ways that we can stay involved and so if you don't want to have a long-term placement there's a lot of opportunities for you to do that and if you really want to support the the last thing I would say is you can support foster families um, there are people who know when things are really tough for us who have like sent us meals or you know <laughs> said let me take the kids for a bit and, and you guys kind of rest and recover. Um, being able to support foster families is another way to do that, right? If you can't become one yourself, you can certainly ask either agencies or um, sort of services how you might be able to connect with um, caregivers to give them some emotional relief. What Maybe it's not that you, you know, get approved and, and babysit, but you can still bring a meal to them or, you know, help them feel validated and seen. Cause sometimes I just need to vent and for someone to tell me that I'm doing a good job, yeah. um, <laughs> that I can't even tell you how far that goes. And sometimes I'm just like, listen, I know what I'm about to say. And like, logically just listen to me. And then I tell Matt, I'm like, I need you to tell me I'm doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. And you are baby. You are. Thanks. Okay. I think that's it. Um, I I do kind of want to just, you know, remind everyone that it is Foster Care Awareness Month. And if you learn something from the show or you think that you have someone in your life who would benefit from hearing on the show, it would be fantastic if you shared it. And um, 
whether you send them a link or you post on social media or leave a review, your sharing um, helps us reach more people. And I would love for this message to hit the hearts of someone who can be touched in a way to help others. And if you want to hear more about what we really thought, we will be popping over to patreon.com slash the whole view. That is the best place to ask us questions. And it is where we give a little more color and information on show topics. So this one, I think it'll be good. I can't wait to have Matt on the Patreon. Uh, I don't think you've have you been? Yeah, maybe just once you've been on the Patreon before, but thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow and subscribe in the podcast app you're using so that um, you don't miss a thing and others can find us too. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.